Good morning, everybody. I'm Elizabeth Alcoholic. All right, we're on page 84. We're going to use the big book today. Um, big book, page 84. And we ch we're leaving off with that last line in step nine. Um, we, we went over the promises. And the last line, it says, they will always materialize if we work for them. So the promises will materialize if we work for them. So now we're going to talk about some work. Um, okay, this thought brings us to step 10, which suggests we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes. So basically, as we go, um, step 10 is our day practice, right? We're doing this forever, <laughs> hopefully. Um, so we continue to take personal inventory, steps four and five, and we continue to set any um, set right any new mistakes as we go along step six seven and eight nine right and so four through nine those two sentences just take us right through with a swoosh like that golf swing we talked about earlier it's like we pick up the golf club and we go we rigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past the word vigorously means actively boldly eagerly earnestly and quickly. Am I doing this? Now, I love that they just throw this sentence right here. We have entered the world of the spirit. Let's just pause for a second there. So we're talking about cleaning up the mental and physical world. We've walked through steps one through nine. We're actively making amends, right? Because we're not necessarily done with our amends, our amends that we're aware of are being made. The ones, the amends that we're not yet aware of will be revealed as we practice 10 and 11 throughout our days here. But it's telling us that we've entered the world of the spirit. And I've been sitting with that question, that statement quite a bit in my sobriety lately, because there was years of my sobriety where I just kind of blew through that line. It was like, we entered the world of the spirit. I don't even know what that means. So I'm just gonna keep going. Rather than asking God in my morning meditation, what does, what does that even mean? What does that mean for me? What's 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 the experience for me? And the reason why it's important is because it says that my next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. Understanding and effectiveness. And a little bit on the next page, it's going to tell us a little bit more about how we, you know, what does understanding mean? What, what am I growing towards? What does effective look like in my life? It also tells me that this is not an overnight map that it should continue for my lifetime. So this is something that I'm doing on a daily basis, right? At first it was brought into my 24 hours. It got to Alcoholics Anonymous and it was the first time in my life that I actually was like, oh my God, now I understand what all those spiritual teachers, those gurus meant. I couldn't apply the principles because I never lived in the day. I was never here. And then for me, my experience over time has been now it's brought me into the present, the moment. How do I practice these spiritual principles 
now. And it tells me I continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. So what is selfishness, right? How does selfishness arise? It arises out of self-reliance, right? And in step three, I made a decision to turn over self, right? I'm no longer relying on self. I'm no longer going to my mind. I have made a decision to let God guide me. So it's got to be something greater than my mind, right? For If we just drop down into the heart, the mind, body, spirit, you know, something greater. So I'm no longer letting my mind just instinctively run me, okay? So I'm continuing to watch for self to arise. Um, the evolution of step 10 for me has um, progressed over time slowly. And so what I mean by that is for a long time, it was I had to be aware of my actions. You know, what am I doing that is not appropriate to do, right? Um, I have violence, rage in my in my background. So there's was obvious behaviors that needed to stop. Those are my actions, right? So the cleanup in step 10 for me through the years depends on how far down the scale I've gone in the moment, right? Was it my behavior? Did I do something? Did I simply say something? My, you know, was it my tongue? I said something out loud that I can't retract or was it just a thought that arose and I haven't yet acted on it? Haven't yet put it out into the universe yet. I haven't said it, I haven't harmed somebody physically with my words or my actions. So where am I? And the reason that it's important for me to know where I am today, you know, what am I working on today? Not what is my sponsor working on or other people working on or people I admire and want to be like, I have to know where I am today because it's, it's very similar to like, if I want to get to somebody's house, right? I have their address. I want to go visit them. I have a desire. I know what the desire is. It's to go visit my friend. I can plug in their address, but if I don't know where I am, I'm not going to get there. And so I need to know where I am. What am I working on? And for a long time in AA, I kept going into my mind because I wanted to be where somebody else was rather than having the honesty and the willingness to admit where I was and, you know, with the physical behavior issues that I was experiencing or the inability to not pause and just the things for years I heard, well, maybe not years, maybe, well, yeah, I think it was years. Elizabeth, it's not what you say, it's how you say it, right? So from behavior to tone to now thought, this is, for me, has been a process over time. I remember one of my mentors that took me through the steps. He said, we could work with this word watch for months. You just take the word watch and it's the practice. It is the moment to moment practice. Watch, watch. Then we move on. It tells me, what do I do? I'm asking God at once to remove them. So here again, we're implementing Emmett Fox's law of substitution, which we talked about before. And the law of substitution is I am turning away from self 
my thoughts and I'm turning towards something else. So wherever God is for a long time, I it was outside. And I think I've shared that I used to have to go to Central Park to feel the power, to feel the presence, to feel the spirit. Now I can drop in, feel it within my own beingness, but that took time. It takes, you know, it took me a long time. Maybe some people quickly, some people slowly, as the promises say, it takes what it takes. So um, we ask God, so I turn away from my thoughts. I ask God at once to remove them. Now, depending on, like I said, how far down the scale I went, that will depend on the rest of these lines. Do I need to discuss it with someone immediately, make amends? Well, if I had a quick thought and I turned my attention to a prayer and then I'm back in the flow of life, I'm back in the flow of life. If I just said something that was really harmful and inappropriate, maybe maybe I'm just going to clean it up right there and then. Or if it was a behavior and something a little bit deeper, you know, do I need to um, look at this? Uh, it says we discuss it with somebody immediately. So maybe I need to call somebody immediately and make amends quickly if I've harmed somebody. Then what do I do? Turn my thoughts back resolutely turn my thoughts back to how I can help somebody else. Love and tolerance is my code. And so this is a process. It continues for a lifetime. It's not an overnight matter, but I get to keep practicing, right? I think today's little insight timer quote was just something about the gratitude, like really sitting with the this idea of, oh my God, I woke up this morning. Like I'm alive. I'm alive and I get to practice today and be with you guys. So now I'll turn it over to Kate. Good morning. I'm Kate. I'm an alcoholic and grateful for other programs. I'm going to pick up um, at that last paragraph on page 84 and we have ceased fighting. But before I do that, the paragraph Elizabeth read is, is so packed full. Um, and it has implications. The first implication is if I now have something I can do in any moment that I'm disturbed and I choose not to take the actions or follow the instructions in this paragraph, I am making a choice to live in my disturbance and the alternate reality that it creates. And that is going to determine the course of my day moment to moment. And I'm the one that has to live with the way that that feels. And then if I don't take care of business in the way that I'm invited to, the people around me are going to experience it too. But what that also harkens back to is in step four, which I, we, we off, we practice step 10 as an inventory step. As Elizabeth said, I go through the watching, the asking, if necessary, a four column resentment inventory, if that leads to the four column fear inventory, so that I can get to the question of God, what would you have me be in this disturbance? But step four says we are permitting resentments and fears. And so what this is telling me is in my day, as I watch the disturbance arise, if I don't, if I don't watch, and again, it's a practice. All we're doing is practicing. I am choosing to live a life of self as self manifests and the, where I'm living my life is in the moment. So it's, there's a huge responsibility we're invited to take here. So the paragraph that I'm starting with is 
and we have ceased fighting anything, anyone, even alcohol. So this is the 10th step promises paragraph. Um, I'm going to start with ceased fighting. Um, fighting was a huge part of my identity. And um, when I read this promise, when I got to AA, um, you know, it wasn't the God that scared me in AA, although it probably should have, um, because I was to have deep and effective spiritual experiences that I didn't understand or realize I was consenting to, but this idea of giving up the fight, um, so what are the things I fight in my daily sober, sane, recovered, recovering life? My own instincts, my dependencies, my ideas, my body, how my body's cooperating in life. Is it doing what I want it to do? Is it behaving like it has energy when I feel like it should? I've ceased fighting the past, the way the past shows up in me. I've ceased fighting my demands of myself and of you. I've ceased fighting my environment, my desires, and my responsibilities. I've ceased fighting everything, especially myself. And again, in this step, we are doing business. Our ground zero at this level is, is, is self, the, the aspect the sitting place of where I'm going to go from, or am I watching self arise, setting it aside and getting back to coming from God? This is the first mention of alcohol in a while. In step nine, it talked about some of the consequences of our drinking and that people knew about them when we thought they didn't. But what this is telling me is it's in step 10 that this obsession to drink is removed. So when newcomers come in and we'll maybe touch on this in step 12 and the obsession of the drink has not left, you know, they've, they've sat around, they're in meetings every day. They've gotten the 90 day chip. Maybe they've got a sponsor and they're working on their drunkalog or their God conception, but everyone around them seems to have had the obsession to drink lifted and they haven't. Well, this is where the big book tells me the obsession to drink is removed and the first thing that Elizabeth read is this thought brings us to step 10, which means that we've started step 10 while we're in step nine, which means we are actively in step nine and finishing step nine as we've moved on to 10 and started monitoring our internal condition moment to moment and addressing it moment to moment. So if I've stopped doing those things, that's, that's a big warning for me. So when a newcomer come in, comes in and she wants to know, when am I going to stop thinking about alcohol all the time? When am I going to stop wanting to drink? My role is how quickly and effectively and deeply can I get her to a step 10 practice? So that moment to moment, every single disturbance, she's watching, she's watching. And she's going to the power. And if the power doesn't remove it in the moment, she's got to write it out and she's bringing it to me or another. That's just the first sentence of the first promise in step 10. For by this time, sanity will have returned. So this also goes back to step two, right? Because in step two, we admit that we're insane. So it's here that I have had an experience. This means that my mind has been made anew. A I have a new mind that doesn't mean that mind can now run my life, 
but it means that mind can do things now. Mind can be used by God in proper relationship to God. Mind is now available for something other than self. So when aligned and subordinated to the spiritual awakening, mind can do things it couldn't do earlier in the steps. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely. Again, that word sane. Anytime the writers of the big book reuse the exact same word because they love to use this different words that meant the same thing. So I always pay attention like I do with italics when the same word appears two sentences in a row. And normally we will find this has happened automatically, automatically. So something has come in and changed my relationship to alcohol. It's changed my relationship with the symptom because earlier in the book, it told us that alcohol was a symptom, right? So my control of others, my compulsive eating, my whatever I do without making a decision to do it, that, that those things that got me to step one, where I'm doing something against my own will, and I don't want to do it, and I can't have power over not doing it. It's telling me that a different kind of power has come in and rearranged me. And that power has taken like root and branch this symptom. It's not saying just like, oh, well, I don't have alcohol in my house anymore. It's saying that if alcohol is near me, I am having a completely neutral experience. If the opportunity to be compulsive or to control another person or a situation appears to me, I am going to have the experience of in the moment having a complete absence of the compulsion to take control. We will see that our new attitude has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes, exclamation point. That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it. Again, we've ceased fighting. We are not fighting it. Neither are we avoiding temptation. So again, this word attitude, most of the fifth step of this series, we talked about the attitudes that we need in each step to be successful in practicing the step. So this says that we've been given a new attitude, not through willpower, not through force, not through beating ourselves into recovery to be better, to try harder, to do more. It's saying we've been given a gift. This is a gift. So I practice step 10 and I'm given a gift. So can I receive the gift? Can I consent to receive the gift? How do I remain in consent and gratitude for the gift? I practice using the gift in the way I'm instructed to use the gift. We feel as though we had been placed in a position of neutrality, safe, and protected. So this goes back to step three, right? If I have a parent who is all loving, all caring, all knowing, all present, then what is my role? My role is to play because the parent is in charge of all of the things going on in ultimate care. I am finally safe. I am finally protected. And it's not because I am putting up fences and walls. 
because I have to protect myself from you or from God or from the past. It's I've stopped putting up these walls and yet I'm safe anyway. It's one of the paradoxes we have here. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. And I know we can all talk about times where we've been actively engaged in the steps and we show up in a situation, a weekly work meeting, a dinner party, a holiday, and the thing, the booze, the crazy people, um, the sugar, the food, it's all there and we don't even notice it. We are so present and so safe and so protected. It's like it's not even there because it isn't because we are no longer living in the physical and mental world. We are living in a spiritual world. Our reality is different. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. I'm safe and protected. So why would I be afraid? I'm not cocky because I didn't do it. God did it. <laughs> so it's great that I showed up and said, sure, God, do, do what you can do that I can't do. This whole powerlessness thing really works for me. But what it's saying is that I don't get to take credit. I just get to be humbly grateful that I get to live in a place where I can be in the seemingly same world. But what I see and experience is completely different. This is our experience. This isn't our knowledge. This isn't our intellect. This is our experience. This is what we practice. This is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. So what do we practice? Keeping in fit spiritual condition. And that's exactly what it told us to do, how to do in the previous paragraph. It's really simple. It's just a couple of actions. And then I'm doing my part to stay fit. And I'm not in self. Elizabeth? Brilliant. Beautiful, Kate. I love the promises. Yes, we're not doing it. Thank God. Um, okay, so it says it's easy to let up on this spiritual program of action. So I have to stay, in order to stay in fit spiritual condition, I have to practice the spiritual program of action. And what's the spiritual program of action? We call it our disciplines. We call it our practice. We stay in the flow of this moment to moment that Kate just described what we read in the book together, watching, turning, watching, turning. When I see self arise, I have one choice. I can full force go ahead with self or I can surrender, right? God is, God is. All I have to do is surrender. And then those promises, th they just come, right? It just comes because I'm not blocking it anymore. It just is the perfection that is. <sighs> I've ceased fighting. Okay, so I rest on my laurels. Well, the physical and mental world are a little bit more forgiving than the spiritual world in my experience. What I mean by that is I can decide that I want to have a healthy body and I want to get in shape, get some muscles. <clears throat> I can start eating good, 
getting out there, exercising, doing my bicep curls. And then a couple months in, I'm, you know, people are like, Oh, what are you doing? And I've got, you know, a little muscle you can see. I can kind of rest on my laurels and not, nobody really notices because the physical takes longer to change, right? It takes time to get muscles and healthy body and a healthy mind. It takes time. It seems like it takes time, but in the spiritual world, it's instant, it's now. And so it's easy. It's, it's also, I can hold on to the physical and right. I can see it, feel it, touch it. The spiritual world is we can't see it. We can't see it. We can't touch it. We can only sense it. We can only know it from a place of sensing it. Right. It's elusive. It's like, it just, I don't know. It's like energy. It evaporates. It goes quick. And so for me, this explains in my mind <laughs> why it's so easy to fall off the beam, right? And why on the other flip side of that is why it's so imperative for me to really have that vital, you know, talks about the vital, six, this vital sixth sense, this vital living, breathing, you know, somebody said to me once vital means, you know, your vital signs, if you don't have vital signs, what you're dead, right? I'm not living in the world of the spirit. If I don't have that vital sixth sense, the feeling of that energy, that pulse, that sensing ability, and that takes time, because for so long, I was living by the mental and physical only. And so and the other thing that I found out is that I can't get the spiritual later with a physical body. It's easy for me to go, huh, I know I have to do this for X number of days, and then I'm going to have this finished product. Well, it's not the same experience for me in the spiritual world. I can't get that sense later. I can't put my meditation or my mindfulness practice or my inventory off later because the only place that I can sense spirit, that spiritual experience is right now. And so resting on my laurels looks to me in the spiritual world like I'm not here. I'm not conscious. I'm not with you, with, with, my, with, with, with myself, breathing, feeling, and then because I'm not present and with myself, well, then I'm out, you know, eating what I want to eat, doing what I want to do, saying what I want to say. I'm asleep and causing all, then I'm the tornado, right, in the world, doing all of this stuff. So it's super easy to rest on our laurels. We're headed for trouble if we do. Alcohol is a subtle foe. We're not cured of alcoholism, controllingism, eating, whatever your thing is. We're not cured. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual, con our spiritual condition. Every day we must carry 
the vision of God's will into all of our activities. And then it gives us the beautiful prayer that it says that we take it with us constantly. Thy will, not mine, be done. That's a wonderful moment-to-moment practice. Thy will, not mine, be done. When I don't know what to do, I go to thy will, not mine, be done. And I just repeat it silently over and over and over. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower at this Um, along this line at all we wish. This is the first time it's saying, okay, Elizabeth, you can take your will, but you can only use it to align it to this God, God power, God's will. And how do I know what God's will is? I have no idea. And so I have to be present and available to listen in this moment for what that might be. And then it gives us some more promises. It's saying that much has been already said about receiving strength, inspiration, direction from him who resides, um, who from him who has all uh, knowledge and power. Now, if God has all the knowledge and all the power, how can I have any? That's another question I like to sit with. Where, where Where's my power? Where's my knowledge? I mean, those sentences don't make any space for me. If we have carefully followed directions, we've begun this, we've begun, and here it is, to sense the flow of his spirit into us. Do I sense the flow of spirit in me? Or is that woo-woo? And that's just for her. Do I, do I sense that? What's my experience? Where am I? I can't get to your house. If I don't know where I am, I can't get to where I want to go, where I believe God is guiding me. If I'm not being honest with where I am. And we must go further. We now we need more action because, you know, there's just more to do. So we'll leave it there. Um, Kate, would you like to add anything on to those that section before we move into our meditation? No. Do you think that's the question we should meditate on? Oh. Which question? The one that I just asked, if God has all. Okay, let's do it. Yeah. All right, everybody. So let's get in a comfortable position wherever you can just allow yourself to be here with us now. Be here with you, right? Returning meditation is turning from the outside to the inside. So I'm going to repeat the question and then I want you to just repeat it to yourself silently. And remember, as the mind tries to answer the question, figure the question out, just simply allow those things, those thoughts to rise, those images to arise, and then surrender them by just bringing your awareness back to the question and repeat it to yourself silently. We'll look after the time and we'll let you know when five minutes is up. Kate's got the timer going. All right, let's just start with three deep breaths first.
And one last breath. In. And out. And now you're allow your breathing to return to normal. And I'll ask the question. If God has all knowledge and power, how could I have any? If God has all knowledge and power, how can I have any?
We will now go to a show of hands. When sharing, we ask that you please keep the focus on the step we're studying and your experience. Please be 